Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents Betches Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Aileen. And I'm Brittany, and this week we are rejoined by one of our favorite guests. You guessed it, Dr. Becky. And for those of you who don't know, she is a clinical psychologist and the CEO of Good Inside and a mom of three. Welcome, Dr. Becky. Welcome back. So excited to be back talking with both of you. We're so excited. Yeah. I know we like kind of left off last year saying you have to come back because we have so many things to talk about. <laughs> so we're finally here. Yeah, it's um, been a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and our on our last episode, um, we spoke about parent-child relationships, tantrums, emotional regulation. So if you were able to go back and listen to that episode, you should before this. And um, we're gonna be talking about a lot of other things as well today so funny because last time like I was pregnant with my first and like we were interviewing and I was like I have no idea what we're talking about (laughs) like but like she you know I feel like I'm gonna try to like get all this information or try to soak it up so I can remember it for when I need it (laughs) way down in the future but now it feels like okay I understand a little bit more about how this works (laughs) Uh, well how's the how's the first year going for you as expected. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just, just, it's, it's beautiful, but crazy. That's, yes. I think. It is both things. It's not all <laughs> rainbows and butterflies, right? No. No. That's why we need you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even just saying that is so important, right? Still, you know, I was talking about this the other day um, at, in our work meeting, how like the image of what motherhood is still for us, like we're young, modern moms. And I still, I'm like, motherhood like I don't know why a picture like a woman like biking through like rolling hills with like a basket of like fresh strawberries and like children (laughs) frolicking like that like still comes to me and then the gap between that image and then like the true labor like motherhood is work it is work it is physical it is exhausting it is depleting it is nothing like the feeling of like roaming the hills with fresh strawberries and just even saying like yeah it's not all rainbows and butterflies like as expected, mm-hmm. it's hard, right? Really hard. And there's moments of joy and fun. Is It's just so important to like say that over and over and over. It is. We appreciate and, that. <laughs> yeah. And for and also just like to hear, especially like you say that as well, like knowing that like we're all in the same boat, that it's hard for all of us. Yeah. And I, and, you know, I can say right from the start, like the goal of working on yourself or even taking in parenting guidance that makes sense to you. Like the goal isn't to get to a place where parenthood is going to feel easy. Like just naming that, like that's also not the goal. So it doesn't feel like that. And that's also not the goal. Right. But like anything in life, when things are tricky, we want support. We want resources. We want to feel as equipped and empowered as we can. Right. And I'm pretty sure someone, I mean, I wouldn't know. I'm not like a marathon runner, but most people running a marathon, I don't think they train and put in work so that the marathon itself feels like a walk around the park. Right. But Mm -hmm. like they train and do that. So they feel prepared. And so they feel as good as they can feel amidst a stressful, you know, and hard situation. And and that's what we're doing. It's a great comparison. So since last time we spoke to you, what have you been up to? Oh, nothing. You know, um, no. um, what have I been up to? I mean, so many different things. Um, from a work perspective, um, probably a year ago, I'm trying to think I'd say I have an Instagram account. I had just launched a podcast and 
And um, I had a couple workshops that enabled me to do deeper dives into important areas. Now, um, you know, I think the thing I'm definitely most proudest of, or two things I'm proudest of, is this membership platform that we have and a book, right? So something on the web and something to hold in your hands, both of them. And that has been, you know, more than a year's worth of work, both of them, and involves like a really big team um, and like super excited about these two different ways of giving parents the resources they deserve to feel good at the very important job they're doing. Congratulations. Yeah, for congratulations. All of those achievements. Is your, your book is out? Is that what you're saying? Book official release date is September 13th. Oh. So what's it called? It's called... Good Inside, The Guide to Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. Um, and, you know, for for a little while on Instagram, as as you know, like my Instagram, like I, I put out a lot of content. So book um, editors or agents were contacting me pretty early on saying, like, I think you have a book in you. <laughs> and in the psychology world, I really mean this, I've always been like kind of confused by books because I'll like read a big book and I'll be like, this thing could have been a pamphlet. Or like, wait, this is just like a collection of Instagram posts that like I've read elsewhere. Like this doesn't need to exist. Um, and so for a while, I was like, I'm not going to write a book. Like I love putting things out in Instagram in this way. And I would never want to just put it together in a book. And um, I like to be punchy with my delivery. So I'd never want to take up a chapter for something that could be said in a sentence. Um, but then what ended up happening through my writing, which like just makes me appreciate so much the importance of starting something. Like so many people, you don't start something because you don't know how you're going to finish it, but it's actually the act of starting that enables you to think new thoughts, right? So mm-hmm. that really happened to me because I got to this point toward the end of 2020 where I was like, oh my goodness, like I actually have a theory. Like there's 10 principles that I always come back to over and over and over. And then on Instagram, I basically put out a manifestation of one or two of those principles. How would that relate to whining or to tantrums? But the actual most important thing I think for a parent is not to be thinking, what am I supposed to say here? But like, what do I just know about what kids need in general? Because once you're grounded in those principles, you, you actually are gonna come up with your own script for your own family and your own kid, right? In such a more natural way. And right. so I realized, I, I wanna like write those principles down like, and they're all very practical. And so that's what the book is. It's like those 10 principles to start with. And then I go through 20 really common kind of like problem behaviors, essentially things that parents used to call me to come into my private practice with, uh, whining, lying, sibling rivalry, tantrums, hitting, you know, hesitation, separation, anxiety, sleep, et cetera. And then I kind of go through each issue, breaking down what I think is really happening based on those principles and then translating those ideas into like my five favorite strategies for that problem behavior. And then after that, showing how you can actually apply that strategy like in real life, because we all know sometimes it's not as easy. And so I feel like the first part is kind of like almost manifesto. And then the second part is just like a reference book that I would imagine a parent actually wouldn't read those chapters in order. But I think the reality is we all need all those chapters at some point in our parenting life. (laughs) Yeah, what ages does it like start and end? So uh, like this is a question I get a lot, right? And like I I know I should have like a really good answer to that because people just want to know like should I be buying this? Because like what age is is my kid in the age that is within the age range? I really feel very passionate about like making parents less anxious rather than more anxious. And I think we've been really pushed into what I call like an age range mindset by the media. Like even starting from all those emails we got, it's like your baby is now this many weeks old. They might be doing this. They might, right? But like I really feel like we all need the same things. Like baby, elderly, you know, <laughs> our relationship with our kids, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our partners, our relationship with our mother-in-law. Like it all comes out differently, Right. But it's all based on the same principles. And it kind of goes back to those principles. Like, I want to put out a parenting approach that grows with parents. That when your kids are two, 
you're working on something. And then when your kid is 16, you're thinking, I'm actually doing like the same thing as I did when they were two. Like, obviously the words change, but probably just a little bit. <laughs> but how cool that you don't have to like relearn things. Like, what am I supposed to do at 16? What am I supposed to do at 25? Well, like, what if you're like, I just know what to do. And so what age is this good for? Like I, I, every age. And I don't mean that to sound so grandiose. Like it's the best book in the world. I don't mean that. But I promise you that no matter how old your kids are, like you're going to find this helpful. I will caveat it and say most of the examples I use, which are just manifestations of these, you know, really widely applicable ideas are probably like one through 10, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had people read the manuscript and say like, I don't even have kids. And this is like my new self-help book, you know? <laughs> so I think it's, you know, I think that if we allow ourselves to like trust our ability to take an idea and then combine that idea with like our own knowledge of our family and ourselves, and then just like get creative. Like that's what I really think that book will do for parents who have kids at any age. I'm really excited to have it. There have been plenty plenty of times where I'm like, I really need something from Dr. Becky in front of me. (laughs) Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you mind like telling us the principles or like even before that sharing like, like is there a parenting style that you go by and then like that's what these principles fit into? Yeah, you know, all of my ideas for kids, this is maybe... I don't know, kind of funny, but like they come from my work I've done over the years with adults. They actually don't come from like the work I did back in grad school with kids. So like in doing really deep, meaningful, ongoing therapeutic work with adults, I think what really everything came down to was things you learned early on in your life and circuits you developed to protect yourself then no longer protect you, but are hard to change, right? And we are always like doing the best we can. So kids are always trying to maximize attachment and they'll shut down parts of themselves or do all types of things if they think it's kind of what their family system needs. So it was always interesting to me that so many parenting approaches, I felt like maybe in the short term, they kind of quote worked. Like, I, I don't even know what worked means. Like when people are like, does this work? I'm like, what? what's the measurement? I don't know. But like, timeouts and punishments and all of these approaches that most people accept as like truths. Like I believe like behaviorism has been like accepted as a truth, even though it's just a theory, right? But like in the short term, maybe your kid looks like they cooperate, but in the long term, they don't have any coping skills. Like what do we think a kid's teaching themselves on their own in their room? Or, you know, they don't understand what repair looks like. They don't understand what resilience looks like. So everything I've developed is both to to help these years feel more manageable in the short term, but truly they're to help your kid when they're young develop circuits and life skills that will benefit them from age 18 till they die. Because like that's actually, I think, what we're trying to do with our kids. Like we're trying to parent for the long run and also yeah. parent in a way that where our kids want to talk to us after they're 18. Because I promise you the timeouts and the punishments and the consequences and the threats, as long as your kids are smaller than you, they will appear like they're effective. And then your kid will be 16 and will essentially look at you and be like, I literally don't fucking care about your timeouts because you can't enforce them and we have no relationship. So what are you going to do? Right. And that I've seen in private practice and it terrifies me because like nobody wants to be there, but we can't control and coerce our kids for the rest of their lives, right? right. Nor does it even feel good. Right. So 
my approach is really based on taking ideas that I know help adults feel empowered, feel both assertive and connected, both boundaried and empathic, and bringing that early on to kids to help them develop really, I think, that duality, strength and softness like at once, right? So it's an approach also that I think I think what differentiates it from other parenting approaches out there, and I think why it has caught fire, is I really think it's the first parenting approach that actually helps the parent behind the child. Like it's really an approach for parents, right? Like. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love the strategies and scripts for our kids. Of course, it has all that too. But if we're not like really working on the way we show up, on our own triggers, on our own coping skills, then everything we've learned for our kids is literally going to be locked away in the moment we need it because we're reacting from a place of stress and trigger, not from a grounded place. And we know biologically, you literally don't even have access to those strategies and scripts. It's like, almost a waste of time, right? So this is an approach where parents feel equipped and empowered, where parents are, yes, rewiring themselves and feeling more confident and more able to set boundaries and also empathize with their kids. And in doing that, create a foundation for their kids to have those same skills. So things that have inspired me are attachment theory, which is not the same thing as attachment parenting, I always like to say. Attachment theory internal family systems theory, uh, mindfulness, somatic work, which is really the understanding that like our knowledge really is in our body, Um, emotion regulation, and really thinking about how our day-to-day interactions with our kids, especially in their tricky moments, can teach them like the lifelong skills they need. Because I always feel like the biggest gift I can give my kids is like early wiring that supports adult development. Like they'll need therapy anyway for (laughs) a variety of things. But how cool if they are adults who are like, wow, like I, I really have a leg up in life. Not because of the college I went to, you know, not because of the job I have, but because like I actually know how to deal with distress. I know how to feel at home with myself. I know how to ask for what I need. Like that, that's really what the book gives parents and that's what I feel passionately about giving my own kids can't wait to read it (laughs) I'm so excited (laughs) through all of this and like you saying it's giving parents the tools to really learn how to cope and deal with it and it's true like I feel like it's it really does help I feel like it's helped me a lot like figure out my parenting style and like learn a lot about myself and my childhood and like why I react to certain things a certain way and like trying to change that but do you think that there's a point where we could potentially teach our kids to like overanalyze things and to like over talk about things and to maybe like feel like they like have to talk about something? Maybe not. I'm just wondering if like we yeah. do something too much. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, most things, everything in life probably, right, is about moderation. And yeah, I actually think a lot of, you know, the kind of interventions that I know like I, I put out in the book and the membership aren't really about like talking about things that our kids, right. our kids don't really want to like sit down and like analyze their life with us. Right. No. Like that's not, that's, that's <laughs> not really what kids want to do. Um, what I guess I feel like really strongly about is like kids learning that like there's important things going on inside them. Their feelings are messages. Their feelings are information. Even their, quote, bad behavior, right, um, is a sign of um, some skill they need to build rather than a side of like being a bad person. That, I, you know, so I think that actually we can teach our kids not actually by talking about stuff, but when our kids are struggling, right, the way we react, they take in as the way they will react to those struggles when they're older. Right. So the way we interact with our kids becomes the way they interact with themselves and in turn the way then they interact with others. So, for example, my kid, I don't know, hit his brother, let's say something like that. Talking about it, be like, oh, I wonder why you did that. Or like, tell me more. Right. Like, I don't know. I I can't imagine that's really productive with any child. Right. But being able to say to your kid, I'm not going to let you hit your brother. Look, Mm -hmm. you must be upset about something. I care about that. At some point, we'll even figure out maybe what it is. But for now, let's figure out another way for you to express that feeling that feels safe for your brother, but also, sweetie, safe for you because I know it doesn't feel good for you to watch yourself hit. So what am I really wiring in my kid? Well, there's going to be a time when they're 25 where 
I'm hoping they're not hitting someone at that point, but they'll yell at someone or they'll do something again that just came from a reactive place. Well, I would love in their body that what comes next is, I wonder why I did that. I'm still a good person. That really wasn't okay. I need to figure out what was going on so that I can figure out a better way to express whatever real feeling I did have inside me. Like that to me, like my work would be done if that's what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. For like someone that doesn't feel natural using this type of parenting. And when I say this type of parenting, like for people who aren't really that familiar, like specifically what we're talking about, could you give like examples with this answer? But um, the question really is for somebody who that doesn't feel natural using this, does it ever get easier? So yes. And what is like this type of parenting, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah. You know, people are like, ask me about gentle parenting. Like no part of that phrase like actually feels like the way I would describe good inside because I feel like so much of good inside actually is like so strong in our boundaries and our, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of embodying our authority, not in a scary way, just in a, you know, kind of embodied way. To me, like one of the biggest differences I think is most of us have been trained in a way through our own childhood to look up behavior as a sign of identity. And then we react accordingly. So for example, I see my kid hit his brother. And in that moment, without even realizing, my kid is just a bad kid. They're a bad kid doing bad bad. things. They're a bad kid doing bad things. And if I want less hitting, I need to not, you know, allow the hitting. So I need to punish the hitting. So the behavior becomes like the truth. It becomes the truth of who my kid is. It becomes the truth of where my focus is at, right? Now, to me, the hitting is like a leak in your ceiling. Yes, like we do not want a leak in our ceiling. If I had a leak in my ceiling, I would not be happy. People are like, oh, so it's okay that your son hits? Like, of course it's not okay. But if someone's like, so it's just okay that you have a leak? I'd be like, well, the leak is. It's not okay or not okay. Like it it just happened. And for me with the leak, I'd want to plug the leak for sure, stop it. But then I would want to get to the source of the leak. Like if I just taped it up, I don't think anyone would think that would be a great intervention. And so I think, quote, this approach, the good inside approach, looks at behavior as a window into a child. So a kid's hitting is a sign of a feeling they're having that couldn't be contained. What is it like for them to feel like they want to block their brother has? Well, they clearly don't know how to have that feeling and manage it. What is it like to have a brother in general? Maybe this is actually a sign of jealousy and feeling insecure in the family. And then I think we can get so black and white. And again, a behavioral approach that we've been kind of absorbing, it makes us black and white because it just sees something as the whole thing instead of a bigger picture. Because then when I say, well, I wonder, let's say if, is is he jealous of his brother, right? Is it hard to feel angry? And people often say, and I get it, they'll be like, oh, so then it's okay if they're hitting? Like, no, I don't know why we only have two choices. That like, Mm -hmm. we can understand behavior and it means behavior is okay, or we can punish behavior. And that's the only way of saying behavior is not okay. Like, I just refuse to take that false choice. It's not okay. Actually, understanding a behavior as a larger story is literally the key to being effective in changing behavior. Plugging a leak doesn't make the leak go away. It's just going to make the leak come out in a different place. You punish your kid for hitting. Great. Now they're going to start lying to you. Great. Now they're going to start stealing their brother's toys. And then you punish the stealing. Okay. Okay. And then you get to the place where your kid is 16 and they never talk to you because they're like, you don't know me. You haven't gotten to know me. You haven't seen that I'm good inside under my bad behavior. And therefore, guess what? I can't see that in myself. I then am totally (laughs) without a clear identity. And so I think what this approach does is, yes, it allows us to set boundaries around dangerous behavior. That is like plugging the leak. But then it allows us to see our kid underneath the behavior, to see that we have a good kid having a hard time who actually is desperate for our help. And that's when we can then think about building skills, like literally being their teacher, right? Like if a kid doesn't make a layup, the answer isn't to send the basketball player to their room. Like, I don't know anyone who'd think like, that's great coaching. (laughs) You'd be like, they need to practice. They need to learn a different way of doing a layup. And that's really where I think what we're doing at Good Inside, right? We're stopping the issue through embodying our authority. But then we really see the kid under the behavior. And in doing that, we actually help them learn the skills they need to change. 
That makes a lot of sense. I have a question. Like, though, mm-hmm. are there any kids that like have a proclivity towards quote good or bad behavior, or is like the again quote bad behavior like hitting or stuff? Is that inevitable? Like, is that unavoidable? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's kids with like, I mean, kids come into the world with specific temperament, right? So there's mm-hmm. temperament, and right away in environment there's birth order, and right away there's just what kids pick up on in their environment. Right. So let's say you have a kid who's like a little calmer temperament and they're especially perceptive in their environment. And let's say they're in an environment that they just sense there is no space for like inconveniencing my parent. That kid on the surface is going to look like a kid who doesn't hit and doesn't act out. I don't know exactly what that kid's going to be like as a teenager. That might be a teenager who you say, oh, I wonder why my kid, you know, never tells friends to like stop saying mean things to her. Well, like you can't expect assertiveness when you're older, when the kid's been kind of based in compliance and, you know, when they're younger, right? So I also think like we just have to look at the whole arc that like kids who appear quote perfect, even though I don't really think those kids exist early on, like I often wonder like, well, you can't learn to manage feelings without going through them. So I don't know how prepared this kid's going to be for those feelings that inevitably are still going to happen when they're older. But certainly Kids come into the world with temperament. And there are kids who feel things more deeply. There are kids who are more adventurous, who are more hesitant. 100%, that's temperament. But then temperament really interacts with environment, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is actually one of the biggest challenges of parenting. And when you have more than one kid, you see this. Or I have with my three kids. Like, I feel like each of my kids needs me to lead with like a different part of me. Like they almost need different parents to be the best versions of themselves. Like they really do, but they have the same parents. And this is why parenting is so hard because you're like, my kids actually need like different tones, different intervention. One needs more preparation. One needs actually more permission to speak up. One needs more help tolerating not getting what they want, right? And what can happen in a family that I think is really interesting to think about is kids can get into really rigid roles. Right. And and that's actually often less just based on temperament and more on almost like the roles they feel like they need to fulfill in the family. Right. So often I have a family they come with like to talk. They have two kids, let's say. And this can happen often with two because there could be such an easy like you're this way and I'm that way binary. Like one of my kids is so generous. They're always sharing and they're always so nice to their brother. And their brother is, you know, so selfish and so this. Right. Like, can you help me with that child? And it's often paradoxical, but I'll be like, I think your younger one needs help. <laughs> you know, like, ooh, like, why why, why aren't you worried that she like never actually wants to keep that toy for herself? I can't imagine you're going to be happy when she's married one day and her friend says, I don't know, I want your partner. And she says, sure, take, <laughs> take them, you know, like, like right? Like, and, and almost like flipping the script, right? So I think anyone listening to this, Like what's powerful to think about is number one, yes, my kids have different temperaments. So like there are kids who are just more prone to having big feelings that therefore they don't have the skills to manage yet for sure. And do my kids pick up mess on messages, often subliminal ones that like they kind of are a certain way or they need to be a certain way. And how does that almost make their temperament turn even more into like a rigid personality, Mm -hmm. right? And generally all of us can benefit from widening our scope of of like who we can be. And that, so it's right. also why it's important with how we say certain things to them and how we're also talking maybe about them in front of oh my, them. Yes, a hundred percent. So going back to that example, it's so easy. I This is actually an example in my book. So my older one and my middle one now, like I remember them playing and there was a time period, and this is normal, where like my younger one was like, I just wanna be with my brother, you know? And my older one was like, you're annoying you know, basically, right? And I was, I remember hearing this thing in the room where my daughter was like, can I have some of your snack? He had like, like snack mix. So there's a bunch of different things, right? And can I have some? And like, usually my son in that situation in that time period be like, no, it's my snack. You already finished your snack, right? So I wanted to go in and say this, hey, to my son, like your sister always shares with you. Like, can you share with her one time? That's like a normal impulse. But if you think about what I'm saying to him is I'm saying, you're the not generous kid. I see you as a not generous kid. And I see your sister as a generous kid. Well, how can we expect our kids to break out of the roles they're in if we are reinforcing the role that they're in? Like, you know, and 
to me, one of the most powerful things to think about with child development is this phrase, like, I am as I am seen. Kids develop the identity that their parents reflect back. This is why I also think punishments and timeouts are so ineffective. Like, great, you've just convinced your child further that they're the bad kid who no one loves. Like, whether it's true or not, like, that's what you're saying back to them. When you're like, I can't deal with you, go to your room. And then you think they want to act in a generous way, right? Like, so I remember saying to my son, I like caught myself, I was like, okay. I said, you know what? Sharing snacks is hard. You have as much generosity in you as like anyone else in this family. Like, I just know that. And I know you'll figure it out. And like, I literally heard him tell his sister, she could have a part of the snack mix that wasn't the part she wanted but like was a different part but that was like a huge win right and so you're right Brittany like and I think this goes back to this phrase that I think is like everything about good inside like when our kids are having a hard time do we see them as a bad kid doing bad things or as a good kid having a hard time and there's nothing more important to a kid in their tough times as having a parent who sees them as a good kid having a hard time and I would think for all of us listeners like if you think about a friend or a parent or a partner when you're having a hard time you know whether they're looking at you as a bad person mm-hmm. doing bad things or as a good person who's struggling. And and that that that's all the difference. Yeah, I think that's the difference of feeling judged or not. Yes. And when you feel judged, you shut down. Mm-hmm. And then you act more right. in the way that you don't even want to act, but you feel so alone and so ashamed mm-hmm. that you can't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So like kind of in that same line of like when you're saying things over and over again, your kid starts to believe it. This also goes with positive things. So kind of like how you're saying, you, you say like, I know you're a good person. Um, you're not you're not a bad person. You're making a bad decision. I know you usually say like you don't, that we as parents, we shouldn't be like, oh, good boy or good girl because it's, what is that saying? Mm-hmm. Kind of along with that, if our child is, let's say they completed a set of Legos. I'm giving an example because my son, he just completed Great. like this whole set of Legos. What do we say to them in that moment? Because instead of being like, oh, I'm so proud of you, you did so great, they're gonna start to believe, oh, they're so great because they completed something. It's it's the same idea behind saying the negative things, right? Yes, I think what you're speaking to is something like, it's really poignant, is like, again, our kids look to us in a way of like who they are. And like we do have like a lot of power and like what we reflect back, right? And that whether we reflect back even in quote positive situations, like do I see a person under an achievement or do I see like your achievement as essentially like being your identity? And just like, yeah, we don't want to reflect back to a kid like you're a bad kid because you hit because then they just further identify in the bad kid role. I think we all know and I think a lot of people speak to this, high achieving people, like they're like, it literally took me like, 40 years to realize like I was still a good person even if I didn't have the most high paying job like I was more than my swim championship title like right Mm -hmm. and I think it's almost especially hard when your kids are high achieving or when they have certain achievements like to pause and in a way be like how do I interact with my kid? Not every time. And let me be clear for people listening, like say good job to your kid. Like it's like, there's so many worse things we can do, right? It's not about like, oh, I can't say that. Of course I say to my kid, amazing job. You built the coolest Lego. Like, of course I say that. But if one or two times I can catch myself and say something slightly different, like how did you think to build that? 
Or, wow, that Lego had so many steps. Like, I'm guessing at some point that was really frustrating and maybe even thought about not doing it. Like, how did you finish that? I'm seeing my kids process under their achievement. I'm actually seeing like a person who made an achievement. Meanwhile, I'm also, which I think this is really important, like that achievement's my kids. It's not mine, right? So Mm -hmm. even saying things like, wow, like how do you feel about that? What do you love about that? Wow, like was that harder to do than the other one? I'm actually centering their experience like over my excitement. And again, I think so many adults have struggled with over the years, like what's my decision and what's my accomplishment? (laughs) And like, what's my parents like taking it over, right? And it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel good when other people take it over. It actually takes away from your intrinsic motivation, which is like the biggest irony. Like I want my kid to go build a Lego, not to tell me and make me say something nice. I want them to find enjoyment. The dream of a parent is my kid did a Lego. And you're like, they don't even tell me because like they don't even need my involvement. Now I have like free time to like do what I want to (laughs) do. Yeah. I'm smiling because I could just, I, I know certain parents who I can hear in my head being like, that's my, this, like anytime a kid does anything, like that's my X name. Like it's always like taking ownership of like, those are my genes right there, like that kind of stuff. And it's so funny that you say that even as yeah, like an and adult. It's like our kids, <laughs> they pick up on that. And like, and then there's, there's pressure, but there's also um, a lot of pressure. Also though, like it doesn't feel good to have, our individuality like taken from us like we know this as adults like picture like doing a work project and and your boss being like essentially taking ownership over it like right it it, it makes you mad like not because you need credit it's actually it makes you mad because you're like that was me like like you just took my identity away from me you took my process like it's like an existential threat like you mm-hmm. know and and that can build up in kids right it yeah. really can and then they can feel like they need like a lot of extra space from parents just to like refine themselves, right? right, right. <laughs> to have their own successes be theirs. Like you must also at the same time while you're processing like, oh, whether your parents' intentions are good, like you at the same time must be processing like the opposite. Like, okay, if they think that this is like this good thing is them. So like when I'm doing something bad, I'm not my parents, like they're not proud of me. They're exactly, I'm not the apple of their eye. Like mm-hmm. I'm nothing. I'm everything to them, exactly. And then I think we see, and I've seen this for so long, like, you know, people who come to therapy with every accomplishment in the world, but like, they're like, why do I feel empty? I feel empty, (laughs) right? Right? (laughs) Um, Just on the same thing that Brittany said, like about good job, I wanna say, uh, maybe we talked about this last time, but I was, I blacked out. Um, (laughs) I was like very pregnant. Um, But like with good boy and good girl talk, like, you can't, especially when they're young. Yeah. Like what? And and then and and it's like not not all, and even if you stop it, the people all around them continue to say that. Yeah. What are your feelings? I have strong feelings about it. And you know, it's funny. I don't know if you follow or know Chaz Lewis, Mr. Chaz on like Instagram. But um, he and I were talking about this a lot when I came out with this, you know company name and philosophy and book good inside right because he's like you hate good girl and good boy like you know yeah. this they build good like the moral stuff yeah so good boy and good girl to me just feels like uh, it feels like a little creepy like at best <laughs> like that just like it feels like but it feels controlling like it just feels controlling it feels like another way of saying like I am someone who wants you to do more of that and less of that. Like it feels so coercive with like our power in a way that seems sweet on the surface, but it just feels like we're limiting the range of like who a child can be like with those words. So what do you do when you hear someone say that? Let's say like, I don't know, I asked my son to clear his plate, you know, I don't know. And some family member is like, oh, good boy. You listen to your mom right away or something like that. I don't know. What would I say? First of all, I think in those situations, like, grounding yourself first kind of what you say to yourself is actually always more important you could always talk to your kid about it later like it doesn't have to be such an emergency so freedom to say nothing I probably say to myself "Ooh, like that's not the way I'd respond like I want my child to clear his plate because he feels part of this family not because he thinks he's like good for me and you know what once in a while like if my child doesn't clear his plate like if I if my husband, whenever he asked me to clear his plate, if once in a while, I was like, not right now. If he was like, you're a bad girl, I'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck? You know, like we hold our kids to these like unreasonable standards. Like all of us have not cleared our plate 
when a partner asked us or a family member asked us and like we give ourselves full like leeway mm-hmm. to do that right so just remember that so I just remind myself of my own values and I'd probably say something out loud if I said anything which is actually more of a message to my child than even that person because like I always feel like we don't have to convince other people of anything when we feel convinced in something ourselves I probably say out loud oh like Alex you know Alex is like a good kid when he clears his plate and when he doesn't clear his plate Alex like thanks for listening that was just like that made that made things easier <laughs> you know I'd probably say something like that to offset it mm-hmm. to me the idea of being good inside is very different than being a good or bad boy like a good girl or bad girl um it's really the idea that there's like inherent goodness inside people that like your identity at your core is you have compassion you have generosity you have the capacity to connect and care about other people and confidence and I actually think the idea of good inside allows us to separate behavior on the outside from identity on the inside. That's why I think it's so important. Where I think the idea of like good girl, good boy is actually like a kind of behavioral measure. Like I'm trying to always measure kind of goodness through my child's latest behavior. If you're trying to practice it though yourself, like forget other people, yeah. what are like replacement phrases that we could try? I, you know, it's funny. I think a replacement phrase is like, thank you. Like, I, like I'm trying to think instead of like, oh, you're such a good girl. Like probably what you want to say is like, I'm grateful you helped me with that. Right. Which is, you know, oh, thanks for clearing like, thank your plate you for when listening. I asked. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I really appreciate that. You really helped make this transition to the car really easy. Like, thank you. You know, like just expressing gratitude. The other thing I think that replaces it a lot. Right. Because let's say it's not so much about the relationship, but like they build a Lego tower like right and maybe we'd say good boy or oh you're such a smart boy or whatever we'd say to like label them in that way I think the best replacement in those times the first replacement is silence I really mean that (laughs) it's like counting to 10 in your head because we assume parents have said this they're like but if I don't say those things my kids are gonna think I don't care I'm like it's actually really powerful to put that to the test right? Like I've watched my kids build something and not interject and them, them like look proud and then move on to the next thing, right? So again, I don't think you have to like be, I don't, I'm not like promoting silent parenting. Okay. That's like not a thing, but like once in a while, <laughs> just waiting, just waiting. I think about this with potty stuff too. Like often our kids, when we start potty learning, like they actually don't look for M&Ms and rewards. Like, just wait. Like, when they pee on the potty, they might just be very happy with themselves. Like, why do we want to take that away from them? Just wait. Just wait a second, you know? Yeah. So I think waiting is powerful. And then the other phrases I noticed, I think, gives kids the idea, like, I am here with you. Like, I see you, right? We all just want to feel seen, right? Even more than we want to feel rewarded, we just want to feel seen. I noticed you built a really big tower. You know, I noticed earlier, I asked you to clear your plate, and you did it the first time right? Just when you say I notice to someone, you're not adding control or value, you're adding presence. And that that's usually what yeah. you know, we're all looking so for. So you don't say anything after that. You just say I noticed it. I mean, again, like I don't like to be so prescriptive because like I think right. that could just add to parent. Am I not supposed to? Dr. Becky said I'm not supposed to. No. <laughs> what, what I think, the, again, the principle is, is like, how can I help my child? What do I have to do with anything to facilitate a process where my kid feels good about themselves, right? Like if right now we see like a kid cleared their plate for the first time or or the first time you asked or built a Lego tower. Like I always think about this. My kid's first instinct, is it to gaze out to other people after they do something? Like who thinks this was amazing? Who thinks this was good? Or is it to gaze in and be like, how was that for me? What did, what did I learn there? What do I feel proud of? I, I think the single most protective thing for confidence, for anxiety, for depression, for everything, is learning to gaze in before you gaze out. Of course, we all gaze out and we all care about at some point about what people think. But if you think about what real emptiness is, it's actually the act of like filling yourself up by gazing out. You don't even know, like, what do I think about this Lego? Like, I don't even know, right? Like, so I think that's so protective and noticing or even pausing or asking, how did you think to? What did you like about something? It, it's actually the act of pairing a kid's action with looking in at themselves first instead of looking out. And when we come in too hot, that's amazing. Wow. But you know, like all these labels, like forget the immediate impact. The circuit our kid really builds is when I do something, I need to look out at what other people think about it 
And I think we all know an adult, uh, that's like not a great place to be. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Because like I know I ha- I've been doing that like based on from what I've learned. And like I, I do a lot of that, like asking him questions and stuff. But it really does make a lot of sense of like why we are actually questioning our kids these things and ha- talking about the process rather than just being like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And then like just again, like give yourself permission to say that's amazing. You know, I'm like, and if you're like, I say that all the time, maybe one out of every 10 times, I'll say one of these other things. That's already a shift, right? Like we want to feel, you know, it's tricky. We want to feel natural and organic in the way we interact with our kids. And then also the way we interact with our kids does like set the stage for a lot. And if we say to ourselves, there are things I want for my kids that are different than what I had early on, then we do have to tolerate some awkwardness because that awkwardness is just a sign we're doing something unnatural. But doing something unnatural is a sign we're doing something different and new. And for a lot of people, they're like, I, I want to do something different and new. Okay, well, the cost of that is feeling a little awkward until it becomes more familiar and then it will feel a little easier. Yeah. So that's really when it gets easier is just kind of practicing as anything 100%. else. A hundred percent. It's like our, you know, like our language of like how our parents interacted with us, not really the words, but again, like our circuits, that's the easiest thing to give our kids because that's how we go on autopilot, right? Well, if we're saying I want to do something different, it is saying like, I'm going to carve out a different circuit. I'm going to literally learn a new language. Well, if someone said, I am learning Mandarin and it feels awkward to actually speak to you in Mandarin, I'm sure we'd all be like, well, of course it does. Well, and like keep doing it. And it'll probably still feel awkward in a month, but it'll definitely feel less awkward. And sometimes you'll slip into saying things in English and that's okay. Like you're not a bad person. Like that's part of learning a new language and, you know, keep, keep doing it. And over time, it'll feel more and more natural because you've been practicing. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Something that a lot of people talk about or like write into us or even like something Aileen and I always discuss is you know it's something that like we want to practice and it's easy for us to be excited about all this and work on it how do we get our partners on board and grandparents and all that when we're working so hard to create this space for our kids and to work on this whole concept of parenting and you know and now you have somebody coming in that's like ruining it all for you essentially send them this episode (laughs) send them this episode yes but like are there ways because obviously if somebody doesn't really understand it and we're just saying but like this is what I'm doing I want you to watch this I want you to listen to this sometimes they just don't care and they're not receptive to that so like what are things we could do to really help the people in our lives appreciate this so I have so many such an important question. So thank you for asking. And I have so many feelings about the question because like I, I, this happens on our, you know, on our membership platform a lot. I hear this from parents too, where they're saying what you're saying. Like I'm putting in this effort. I'm here. But also like, I, I kind of resent that now it's also my job to like get my partner on board. Like, fuck that. Like, why is that my job? Like, mm-hmm. like just level up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, so now I have to take on convincing you and doing that emotional labor. Like I'm already doing all this emotional labor over here. So I just want to name that, that it feels so unfair. Right. Even like, right. And I'm also someone to be like, oh, like I also feel deeply committed to just being effective. And if like, I want my partner to be more involved, I'm both allowed to feel annoyed that I even have to do that extra work. And I'm allowed to give myself permission to do a little bit of that extra work because it's just something that matters to me. So I just want to name that. So a couple things. I actually think we take the first, we don't take the right first step, right? The right, the first step we often take is like convincing or usually it's like attacking. It's like, do you even care about our kids? You know, or something like that because we're just so fed up because we're so depleted. Um, Or convincing. Like, can you watch this video, right? Or something like that. Um, Well, I actually think the first step is like understanding that our partner's resistance probably comes from some like very real and important place in them. And I actually think the place it often comes from 
is some combination of like, this is uncomfortable for me. Like as soon as you're asking me to like, let's say be softer with my kids, at least seemingly softer about their struggles and not just send them away. I'm probably confronting like my own memories and like my own stuff. And like, I don't really go there. So like you think you're asking me to watch a video. You're like asking me to like reflect on myself, you know? So I think there, or I think the other thing I hear a lot is like parents who are like, I want my kid to be able to function in the real world. And it seems like the most logical linear way that it seems right is like, well, they're going to get punished in the real world, so I have to punish them, right? Or like they can't do that to a boss, so they can't do that to me. But underneath that, and I don't think that logic matches up, like it's it's more complicated than that for sure. But what I do understand is like, oh, you're invested in your kid's future. Like that's actually like really important to name. So I think the first step is trying to like come to your partner with more of like almost a meta discussion, which is like, hey, I wanted to send you some videos where we kind of disagree, but I feel like that has never gone well. So I'm going to take, you know, a different approach because I realized like there must be things even about talking about our differences in parenting style that feel uncomfortable. Because like, let's be honest with each other. We only shut down conversations when we feel attacked or defensive or uncomfortable. And so even bringing up the topic of parenting, like my guess is like makes you feel that way. So before we even talk about like timeouts or a different way of doing things, like can we talk a little bit about just like what happens when I ask you to watch something? Because us understanding that is going to be, it actually sets the foundation. And the other thing I'd say in that first conversation is like to really say to your partner, look, we both want the same things. Like we both care about our kids. We both Mm -hmm. want to feel like good parents. We both want our kids to grow up and feel at home with themselves and confident and able to get into healthy relationships. And like, I know we both want the same thing. And yet we have all this conflict about the ways we're interacting with them now. But let's just keep in mind that like we're on the same team here. So really in that first conversation, I think we want to like learn more and come at it from that place. Then Mm -hmm. like after that, right? I think we have to feel when there's a little bit of an opening. And if we really don't feel the opening, look, I think there's something else that can come after, which is something kind of assertive of like how we parent our kids is really important. And it really matters to me. And I think of it as like both of our jobs. And it really doesn't feel right to me that I want to invest in this job and I want to learn more and I want to involve you in it and talk to you. And you're essentially saying like, I'm not coming to the meeting. I'm not coming. Like, And if your partner works outside the home, I think you can say like, I can't imagine at your job, like that would sit well with you. If someone you considered a colleague was like, I'm not going to talk about this or I'm not, I'm not going to show up at the meeting. And like, I feel like that. And that just so you know, not only does that not feel good in parenting, like I'm just going to tell you as your partner, that does not feel good as a partner. Like I am not happy right now in our partnership, given this is a topic you shut down. I still love you. I'm still going to sit at dinner with you, but like, I'm not happy. And like, I need more. Like to like really name that, you know? Yeah. And and I think that is like, we skip those steps and usually go right to like sending the video, which I think to people feels like you're wrong and I'm right, which like mm-hmm. nobody will engage in something from that place because there's no connection, right? Mm-hmm. And I think then after that, you know, yeah, I think it is probably after that when there's an opening. You got to have the opening first and then you got to like, capitalize on the opening like you gotta get it right right it feels like that so you know like I wish I could say like here's the thing I would do in that opening but you know it's interesting in our on our platform we had a parenting made easier in 30 minutes event bring your partner because this was the exact thing they're like all these people were like okay I feel like there is a little opening um but like what do we do there so we really went over like the three most bang for your buck strategies that you can use with your kids and why those prepare your kids to be functioning, resilient adults. And I also think we have to link our parenting interventions to longer term results to get more people on board and speak to the fears they have of this kind of different style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because my my immediate thought about like having that kind of conversation is I can hear like, oh, but that's like how my parents did it and that was fine. I'm like, (laughs) I don't know if that was fine, (laughs) but I'm not going to like, you know, say that because I imagine that's what's going on inside also. Like, you know, what are you saying about my parents? So, right, right, exactly. (laughs) I think we all, when we get married, we realize like, 
I always think it's not until you get married and, or not forget married. It's not until you have kids. And if you have a partner where you're like, I just learned everything about your childhood watching <laughs> that. Like I, you just lived it out, you know, like, wow, like it's still really hard for you to be mad at your parents or to separate from them. Like no one as an adult should be saying my parents did everything right. Like, what does that even mean? Like, it's like, I mm-hmm. like, you know, we like being an independent thinker and coming into your own identity means looking at your past and realizing what things impacted you, what things work and what things just don't work. Not because anyone's a horrible person, because like there's just no way everything worked for you. And so, yes, if we're encountering that, this is the, some of the problem is like, it's, it's such a, when people say my partner really won't be on board with the parenting approach, I really feel like it's a more general struggle. It's like, what is it like to talk about issues that involve like emotions and our past and reflecting, right? That usually the, all of those conversations can just get kind of shut down. I, I think you mm-hmm. can also say to a partner though on that, we don't have to say your parents are bad parents. Like this is us talking about how we want to parent our kids is not a referendum on your parents' approach. Like, let's just separate them. Mm-hmm. Okay. It worked for you and you like, great, okay. That's how my parents did it. Okay. What I'm saying to you as your wife and your partner for adulthood is what I'm seeing about the way you interact with your our kids. It doesn't, it doesn't feel exactly right to me. So like, right? Like right. this is not about your parents. This is about me. <laughs> right. 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 And there's more research done since then. <laughs> That's true. <too>. A lot. <laughs> yes. And look, just for everyone listening out here, like the thing, like, like I do feel like and we're talking about partners in general, but like we all have husbands, right? So like, I think there's a lot of like my husband is resistant to this often more than my female partner is or my wife is. And one of the things I will say about good inside, okay, is that husbands like the good inside approach because it doesn't feel soft. Like someone mm-hmm. said to me, they're like, I like you and my husband likes you because you're not nice. Like, like, like <laughs> you know, like you're not like, you know. And so I think our approach shows parents like there's a lot between sending your kid to your room and saying, oh, feel the feelings. Like there's a lot in between there. Right. And we're in between there. That this is actually an approach. The other thing I think that's interesting. As a parent, saying to your kid, go to your room, no TV for a week. Like you think that's a power position? Like you literally can't deal with your child. So you sent them away to their room. Like you would feel good in your company when someone was yelling during a meeting, watching the CEO just say, oh, go to your office and close the door. Like if, if someone did that, I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Do you not know how to lead? Like that's not powerful. Like it doesn't make right. any sense. Like it's desperate. The only people who say no TV for a week and I've said that myself, we all know you say it because you don't know what else to do and you feel desperate. That's not power. That's desperation. This is actually a way to embody your authority in a healthy way and actually mm-hmm. feel more competent. And I think honestly, like men who actually take a workshop, like they're like, oh, I like this. Okay. And actually they're like, you know what? This is going to help me at work. You know what? Mm-hmm. This is going to help me in other areas of my life. And it does. Right. And I, so I think that I just want to, you know, want to name that, that like men like our approach. They really right. do. Right. Well, that's great. That's that good great. to <laughs> be acknowledged, at least acknowledge. Um, but thank you so much, Dr. Becky. I thank am you. so excited to read your book when it's out. It's potentially could be our just our coffee table book one day. <laughs> um, so what, it's out. When did you say September? September 13th. All information is at goodinside.com. If you go to goodinside.com backslash book, all the information about the book is there. Goodinside.com. You can get like we have an amazing Thursday email. I always say more people should take, should get. It's just like organized thoughts, strategies, scripts, right to your inbox. And then really uh, the membership is is game changing. Like it actually gives parents all the resources they need in one place. And in my mind, all the resources they deserve. I just think this is too important of a job for us not to approach as we would any other job in our life. That yes, we invest, we work, and we get the resources we need to to feel empowered, right? That mm-hmm. That's really what I care about, you know, doing over and over again for the rest of my life. So all of it is at goodinside.com. Well, everyone go check that out. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us again. Maybe we'll talk to you next year again. Um, I hope so. Hopefully sooner. Um, and that is it for this episode of the Betches Moms podcast. Guys, please don't forget to give us a rating, five stars, and follow us on Apple and Spotify and follow Betches Moms on Instagram. And you can follow me at Aileen Brittany at It's Brittany. 
Lev. It's it's Brittany Lev. (laughs) And Dr. Becky at Dr. Becky. Yeah, Dr. Becky at Good Inside. And remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.